You're listening to Do That Well with your hosts, Brenda Brown and Karen Thrall, a podcast about real experiences and how to turn them into life lessons. Unscripted, honest, funny, genuine, and passionate. A series of conversations where we explore every aspect of human interaction and provoke each other to do life well. Today, we will be doing part two of our two-part series on family dynamics. I guess that's it. <laughs> so the fourth type that we'll talk about is the childless, childless family. Excuse me. So childless families are families that have two parents who cannot or don't want kids. In the world of family types and dynamics, these families are often forgotten or left out. Uh, but even though you, you know you don't have children, you can still be a family. Mm-hmm. So in the past, growing up, getting married, having children, that was you know, the societal norm. But in mm-hmm. today's modern world, more and more people are choosing to p- postpone having children or deciding to not have uh, any at all. Mm-hmm. When I was in Amsterdam, I want to say this was about five years ago now, I took a canal tour. And one of the things that the tour guide pointed out to us was this area that was known for having a lot of childless families. But I thought it was really cute uh, over in Amsterdam, they called it, uh, they called these people Dinks, D-I-N-K, and it stood for double income, no kids. But I just oh. thought that was a really like <laughs> cute and funny way of describing that sort of yeah. family model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so great. Um, I did have some thoughts on this one. Um, I thought about how... A childless family, um, it's a choice, and sometimes it's not a choice. And I, I know we're going to get into the strengths and, and the pros and cons, but I think, and I, I'd like to kind of further that later, but some people choose, but some people don't choose. So, and I, we'll get into that, but that's, I'm going to pin it for now. <laughs> and also I want to talk about puppies and pets. So, but we'll, I'll wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm very curious to hear your thoughts because I, I think we may be aligned on some things there, mm-hmm. but let's just jump straight into the strengths and weaknesses of this kind of family, according to our article. So the strengths would be that typically there is more than one disposable income. There's our double income, no kids, the dinks, mm-hmm. uh, no dependents to take care of. You have more freedom to travel, go on adventures, pursue different careers, education, etc. And the couples get to spend more time with one another. Uh, weaknesses would be that the couples can end up feeling isolated or left out if they have friends and family that start to have kids and they they don't have kids. Uh, if you do like kids, you may feel that something is missing from your childless family. And infertility can sometimes force a family to be childless, which can also be very difficult for some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start with pets. More and more in the last several years, 20 years, um, a dog or a cat or your, your favorite animal of choice is not just a pet. And that, that message is getting louder and louder. And there are people who have pets as their furry children. They care and love and nurture and, and invest in these pets as if as their own children. 
And I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, Corey has really taught me a lot about that. And we just lost our, our dog, Rudy, last June. And Rudy and Corey have been together for 15 years, and Rudy and I, five years. And um, I, it really opened my heart up to seeing Rudy as our family member. And there's some people have pets as pet owners. Some people are pet lovers. And then there's pets are my family. And the family dynamics. And so I, I'm really, I was excited about this one because I do want to really acknowledge how many people that are listening are going, oh, good, thank you for bringing up my furry babies, my furry animal children or whatever. And I do love it. I just think it's just the most beautiful thing. And um, there's, I just find it's rising more and more in that permission to love. And I heard a woman say, um, we share this planet. It's not just our planet. It's for all living creatures. And so when you bring an animal to your home, it's that animal is part of your family. It's not just a commodity uh, because this earth belongs to all living creatures and to show that same love and affection. So for those of you who are pet owners, I would love to encourage you to start exploring what if, if I start I, I increased how I love my animal and at a much more like a family in a family way. How would I be different with my pets? How would I treat them differently? And so that was one thing I wanted to say. I love that because I do have a cat and with Victor and we 100% she's a part of our family. I mean, she mm -hmm. is our child for all yeah. intents and purposes, <laughs> you know, and yeah. yes, she's not human, but I I would imagine that I do still run into some of the things that somebody with a human child would run into. For instance, as I mentioned earlier, I was just with my parents for a week and, you know, we had to figure out what are we going to do with Kiki, the cat, and she still needs to be looked after. And, you know, we do still have to take those considerations into place because of the fact that we have our little fur child. We don't we don't get to, as as one of the strengths was saying, that you'll have more freedom to go travel and go on adventures. But we don't necessarily have that freedom because we have this this pet who is now a part of our family. So, mm -hmm. so I agree. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, uh, this is the fourth one, I think, or fourth or fifth. Is this... Um... Fourth, Which number yes. is the fourth? And the three above it are all children, children, children. It's it, it, you live, breathe children. It's it's your family. It's you raise children. You have children. You you know, and then the grandparents have grandbabies, and it's just like it's it's all this thing about oh children, and it's beautiful. And then you get to the childless family who have chosen not to have kids or can't have kids. It's not their choice. And I don't want us to ever assume that everyone thinks the way you think. There are people who are, it, it's, it's painful. For example, Mother's Day is painful because they can't have kids. Father's Day is painful. But we have to not assume when you see a couple and they're, if they're without children, we don't know the story and to be mindful of that. And I thought that was something on both sides, whether they choose, they, they still, they belong. I've cho we've chosen not to have kids. 
It's not saying we're not saying we don't like children. We have chosen not to have children as part of our family unit. And that's okay. And so I, I want to just tell everybody, hey, let's remember that there's different family dynamics and let's be mindful of that. And for those who are in anguish because they might not have kids or can't have kids, let's remember that. Like, it's, let's be mindful of every fam family dynamic that exists. Right. And the article even says that this family type sometimes gets looked over or forgotten because there aren't children involved. But that doesn't make it any less valid of a, of a family type, as you're saying. And yeah. so I, I do like this idea of, you know, really normalizing family units that don't include children mm -hmm. and still recognizing them as as a form of family, you're yeah. still getting all of those other things that you need. It just doesn't include children and that's okay. Yeah. So moving on to our last family type that, oh no, excuse me. There's two more. Two more. I'm jumping ahead. Second to last family type that we'll discuss today, the step family. So step family is when two separate families merge into one. This can go several different ways. It can look like two divorced parents with one or more children that blend families, one divorced parent that has kids that marrying someone else who's never been married before with no kids, etc. So anytime where there's two separate families that are blending to merge into one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And before, because I know there's a sixth one, but I, this is where I want to say this. <laughs> um, I have been part of a nuclear family. Um, I have Madison Dillon, my kids, I go through a divorce and then I'm a single parent navigating, raising at this time they're older. Um, then I go, I am part of a step family now because Corey and I get married and we have a, a loving relationship. So now he has two kids that he's, ne he's never had kids. And then I'm part of an extended family because Corey's family really thrives in an extended family. And then Corey and I are childless family. <laughs> and we, Rudy was our, our, our puppy, you know. So I thought, oh my goodness, I have all five. <laughs> I've, I've lived all five. And my family, of course, is a nuclear family too. So I just like, wow. So to me, what was really cool is I went, oh my gosh. I can identify with five out of the six. I can actually connect. And it, it really sparked that uh, love for an appreciation for so many different types of family dynamics. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> that is cool. I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah. That's really so. great. And and it also re-solidifies what we were talking about a moment ago too, right? That these aren't cut and dry, that you can fit into more than one category, that there might be a category that you're mostly within, but you have a little piece of another one. It's it's not all black and white. Mm -hmm. That's so true. <laughs> so strengths and weaknesses of the step family. Strengths would be the children get the benefit of having two parental figures, Children and their new siblings or step-parents can form strong bonds. And the, you have that benefit, again, of two incomes compared to this single-parent family. Weaknesses are that adjustments can be difficult for parents and children. The parents can run into problems trying to discipline one another's children. 
And there may be a lack of discipline or inconsistent discipline because of the different blended family types. Mm. Okay, so I was thinking about families that, um, step families, uh, what might be their struggle? And I, I think what I'd love to say to step families is two phrases. If you are relearning children that you didn't raise or you weren't part of their lives at the early stages, or maybe you're just brand new parents to them, step parents, whatever, a phrase that's so good, two phrases. One is, how can I support you? How can I support you, my partner, the co-parent? And how can I support you, this child that I'm going to get to know for for the first time? I'm, I'm going to just start building a relationship. When a child or the co-parent can see that I'm here, teach me how to support you. Let me learn how to support you. I think that is the phrase in a step family that will really help a step family to thrive. The second one is um, that I, I get to I get to know you and I can't assume I know you and I can't project onto you just because I'm like if it's two sets of parents and kids that are merging into a family, this is how I raised my kids, but I can't assume that that's the best parenting for you. And now, now I'm bringing you into my family. So never assume that your parenting style is exactly what the other set of kids that you now have <laughs> uh, need. And I think those are the two things that could really pull a family together. If those who are listening are feeling a bit of a strain in those dynamics, the mixed family. Definitely. It's that communication piece again. Mm -hmm. Talk to each other. Ask mm -hmm. those questions. How can I support you? Make sure that you're aligning on what the values are. Make sure that you're aligning on how do you want these kids to be disciplined? What what kinds of boundaries are we trying to set? And make sure you're having those conversations uh, to try and lessen some of these weaknesses <laughs> <laughs> that are being ascribed to the step yeah. family. Definitely. This is one that I I really don't have a lot of experience with this family model. So I don't have a lot to add to this part of the conversation, yeah, to, to be no, quite candid. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have very many friends that grew up in these sorts of scenarios when I was raised. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I do have two half-brothers. So we have the same mom, but we have different dads. Uh, they are much older than me, and there were times in my life where either of my brothers lived with my mom and dad um, and I for short periods of time. And again, because my brothers are so much older, I didn't always have the context. Uh, for example, when my brother was 16, I was six. So he came and lived with us when he was 16, and I could see that there were some of those struggles that my my dad felt because my brother was not his biological son. And so they, they did run into some of those struggles with knowing how to discipline. How do they go about, you know, enmeshing <laughs> those different styles that they had versus the style that my brother had already received growing up with his biological father up until the age of 16. And be but because I was six, I think a lot of it was pretty lost on me. Um, mm. So I don't have a whole lot of context. But I, I can say, what I can say is that I do see where some of those difficulties would arise and where that mm -hmm. piece of communication and alignment would be so essential. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I know like for Corey, the kids are already grown adults. So he's learning them. Um, he spent time getting to know them as friends. And again, as a support and being curious and exploring and learning who they are and stuff like that. So I think that's about, that's my experience with um, a step family, if you want to call it that. But you're right, I don't have the full fullness of two families merging together, um, a blended family of from two partners bringing in children and things like that from a young age, you know, some as early as two and three. And I, I don't have that experience. So we look forward if people listening, if you'd love to send us an email or message us and let us know some of your insights and wisdom, we'd welcome it for sure. Yes. <laughs> All ears. Yes. Yeah. So rounding off the last of our family types here, we're moving on to the sixth type of family as defined by our article, the grandparent family. So this is what they're saying, uh, they being the article, (laughs) in the U.S. as the least common uh, family type is the grandparent family. So this is when one or more grandparents is raising a grandchild or grandchildren And the article shared that the census data indicates that in the United States, approximately 2.4 million grandparents are raising 4.5 million children. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I I did, I I remember um, this is years ago being in the Philippines and the parents had to travel to work. And so the grandparents lived in the home and raised the kids because the parents were working. And so that's that's something we don't necessarily see in the United States as much, you know, where the, but you do hear about the grand, like they have the, the suites, the en suites where the grandparents come and live because possibly both parents are professional, you know, and then the workforce and they're just having the, the children being raised part of the core family so there is a little bit of that in the United States that they, the, the grandparents are part of nurturing the family because both parents are working. But I, I remember in the Philippines, no, they were like literally gone for months um, working. So the grandparents would raise the children. And I remember being, that was really, I was, that was quite impressionable for me is hmm. that their love for their family. That's the sacrifice they had to, to make. And I know, sadly, um, the reality of this one is in the United States is there's also the reality, the cold reality that many grandparents are parenting because the parent has lost interest in being a parent or there is an element of drugs or um, a felony or something imprisonment. There is that, you know, where grandparents are protecting the child because the parent is in trouble. So I think that's also something we would see in the United States. Yeah. What's interesting about the, in the Philippines, as you were just describing, that is sort of a combination of the grandparent family and the extended family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As as you were describing that. So there's another, you know, example of how (laughs) these these can can cross over. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah. But as you said, yes, I think sometimes the grandparent family, it can be, um, you know, less fortunate reasons that children find themselves in these scenarios, Uh, as you mentioned, whether or not it's because the parent is around still, but there are some some 
things that are making it so that they can't care for their children or maybe it's a circumstance where the parents have passed away or, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah. yeah, there's, yes. The only thing I would say for um, grandparents who are raising children is the toll it takes on them physically because they're not in their twenties anymore and their thirties. And, um, and just to remember to self-care and know it's okay to have limitations and to really draw help and strength from your community around you. And, um, and thank you. Cause I'm, we, we know that grandparents who are choosing to take a parental role is because they deeply love their grandchildren and they want the best for them. So, and and we look forward to hearing stories like what is your story if if you know somebody someone listening if you know somebody who is being raised by their grandparents we'd love to hear the story behind it because that's definitely. another area I'm not, I'm not familiar with so it'd be really special definitely yes uh, the article says that the strengths of this type of family unit are that grandparents and children can, grandchildren can form a very close bond and it can keep children from ending up in foster homes or other situations weaknesses would be that the grandparents may not work or have full-time jobs, so there may be income struggles. Uh, and then depending on the health of the grandparents, it can be difficult for them to keep up with the long young children or discipline them as they get older. So, you know, pretty much all the things we were just talking about, really, <laughs> um, as far as pros and cons go, you know, the, the pros being that it, it makes it can make it so that these children are still getting a nice upbringing, but the cons being that it can be really, you know, mm -hmm. physically and mentally taxing on the grandparents. So, yes, there we go. Well, wow. That was that was a lot. <laughs> um, but you know, I think for me, some of the big takeaways from this discussion, uh, again coming back to this idea that it's not one size fits all. It's not M-I-A-B-C-D. You can find that your family or the way that you want to be in family, it might be a combination of some of these things. Uh, you might reject all of these models completely and you might decide <laughs> that you want to form your own way of doing family. And mm -hmm. I think what's so cool is as we were discussing these, we did also talk a little bit about how these sorts of family units can differ between cultures, how there's even a difference within the U.S. in modern day society compared to, you know, years back. And so these are all kind of fluid types. And we're just presenting these six types of families through the lens of this article as a starting point to, you know, mm -hmm. spark further thought. But what I think is really cool is that we get choice. And if you are in a family unit that's not working for you, maybe think about what you would want it to look like instead. And is there a way that you can, can get after that in your own life? That's you know, so good. Um, so, so, so that would be some of my, my closing mm -hmm. thoughts on family mm -hmm. units. <laughs> mm -hmm. My only thought I had as a closing thought is the grass is not greener on the other side. It's um, to really take pride and wow, this is the family dynamics that I'm part of and I'm going to make it the best ever. 
I'm, I'm going to focus on their strengths and and we can and we'll strengthen each other in our weaknesses but let's thrive in this family dynamic let's thrive in, the, in how we are building family because the somebody else isn't doing it better there and 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 don't don't entertain that, that narrative that comparing yourself to other families you have the family exactly no, this is the family and this is how you're doing family and really enjoy it and pour yourself into the dynamics that, as you said, that you've chosen. I think that that'd be the only thought I had. I like that. And, you know, the grass is always greener. I think that's something that I find myself coming to a lot in all aspects of life. And, and as you said, you know, finding ways to, to dig in and appreciate what we have while still being mindful that if there are things that really aren't working for you, then it's okay to address that as well. Yeah. Well, with that, we have reached the end of our chat on family dynamics. Uh, as always, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us, please feel free to shoot us an email at do that well podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at do that well and talk to us about it. Let us know. Did you agree with this? Did you disagree? What kind of family unit did you come up in? Is there anything that we missed that you really wish that we had talked about? Because we, we're we we're here to figure out how we can do family dynamics well. And if we didn't quite hit it, then we want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next week on Do That Well. <laughs>